Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to The Dirt Show. We're going to spend most of the time today talking about recent efforts by progressives to take over the United States Supreme Court by packing it with uh, progressives uh, during the during the Biden administration. We'll get to that in a minute. But there was a major development today in the Donald Trump uh, civil case involving rape charges and defamation charges. And I told you, I'm pretty proud of the predictions I've made generally. And so I'm going to go on a limb and, and make a prediction here. Based on what I've seen in the new development is that Takapino, the lawyer for Trump, has said he's not putting on a defense. He's not putting on witnesses. He's not putting on experts. He's not putting on uh, exhibits. Um, he's going to depend on his cross-examination, essentially, of the witnesses for the plaintiff. Now, in one sense, I don't blame him. What kind of defense can you put on for a charge that allegedly occurred close to 30 years ago. And um, uh, it's very hard to make a defense based on something that not only happened 30 years ago, but um, the accuser doesn't remember what year it happened uh, or what month it happened. She remembered, she thought the day of the week, um, but awfully hard to mount a defense. I mean, I don't know what happened in that room, and I'm not here to tell you that I think he did it or didn't do it. I'm just here to evaluate the evidence. But um, what if uh, they were able to come up with a day and uh, Trump could prove he was, you know, in Florida that day or in Europe that day? He's in Scotland now, you know, with his golf courses, he might be there. Um, but uh, very hard to make a defense against an accusation that's as vague in terms of timing, it wasn't vague at all in terms of the specific allegations. But the jurors, first of all, who are the jurors? We don't know. All right, that's okay. There are many cases in which jurors are anonymous. That is, the public doesn't know who they are. But here, Donald Trump's lawyers apparently don't know who they are. How do you pick jurors? When I have a case, I do extensive amount of research on the jurors. I find out every magazine they subscribe to, if I can. I find out who their friends are, what clubs they belong to. And then you base questions on that investigation. But here the judge has said, no, we're not going to even let the defense attorneys know the names of, of the jurors. Um, and 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 uh, that puts the defense at a tremendous disadvantage. Um, the judge made lots of errors in this case. And um, before I get to my prediction, I believe that if this were not Donald Trump, uh, the judge would be reversed. Uh, 
were their verdict against Donald Trump on several grounds. I think the Jura issue is one that would be taken seriously by the Second Circuit or should be taken seriously by the Second Circuit. I don't believe the Sixth and Seventh Amendments to the Constitution, Seventh Amendment provides for trial by jury in all civil cases, means a jury that you can't examine. You don't know who it is. It couldn't have happened at common law. Uh, this is a change, and I don't think it's a constitutional change. The judge also let in the Access Hollywood tape. The prejudice of that tape so outweighs its probative impact. Remember, in the tape, he says, if you're a celebrity, basically, women allow you to do anything. They don't uh, protest. Well, that's not what he's charged with. He's charged with forcibly inserting his finger into her private parts without her consent uh, as a rape. So the Access Hollywood tape is not particularly relevant, uh, nor I think is it relevant that maybe 30, 35 years ago uh, or many, many years ago, uh, two other women claimed they were subject to similar uh, uh, abuses. You know, you're on trial for a particular event on a particular day at a particular time, not your general character. Um, so um, I do think that if this were not Donald Trump, there'd be a very good chance of reversal on appeal. You can't ever predict anything uh, a court would do based on Donald Trump, but I'm going to make a prediction. I predict that he will not be found not liable. That is, I don't think he's going to win the case. Um, I think the only alternatives are he will either be found liable or there'll be a hung jury. Normally, I would say that based on the evidence that I've heard and the fact that the defense has decided not to put on a case, um, there would probably be a verdict in favor of the plaintiff here. But with Trump, you don't know. All you need is one juror uh, to say, mm, I don't know. I have my doubts. Uh, remember, this is a case that doesn't require proof beyond a reasonable doubt. All it requires is a preponderance of the evidence. Um, that is 50.1% over 49.9%. And when the defendant doesn't show up and the plaintiff appears on the witness stand and gets the sympathy of the jury, it's awfully hard to get every juror there to say, no, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. So I don't think there will be a verdict in his, in Trump's favor. I can't predict and won't try to predict whether it would be a verdict against him or a hung jury. I think greater likelihood of a verdict against them than a hung jury. But since I don't know anything about the jurors and neither do you, I, I kind of rescind that prediction. I, I can't tell you if I knew who the jurors were and I had seen the transcript of the questionings of the jurors, I, I might have a better basis for concluding uh, the possibility of a holdout juror or hung juror. But I'm fairly confident in my prediction that you will not get a unanimous jury verdict um, uh, in favor of non-liability or even a majority in favor of non-liability. I think the majority will be in favor of liability, but we don't know whether or not it'll be unanimous or not. Um, we'll wait and see. I could be proved wrong, uh, but uh, that hasn't happened much in the past, but anything's possible in the future. So I'll make another prediction. Um, I do not believe that the radical Democrats, the progressives who are now pushing for uh, the Supreme Court to be packed uh, with more progressives. Uh, the, the, the proposal and it really recently came out in a strident article in 
uh, a, a magazine called Medium, which is a left-wing uh, Democrat magazine, but not only a magazine for hard left progressives, it's a magazine that Hillary Clinton and, and Barack Obama have written for. And so it bridges um, between radical left and the, and the, and the center uh, left, if there is still a center left in the Democratic uh, Party. Um, but that magazine demands that Democrats now seek, at least threaten, but seek um, court packing so that Biden can pick um, six more people. Uh, they want 15 justices, some want 13 justices, doesn't matter. As long as Biden gets to pick Democrats now, you know, the article doesn't particularly focus on the fact that Republicans right now control the House. Now, you don't need the House to confirm a justice, but you do need the House to pass legislation that would expand the number of justices on the court. And I don't think you're going to get that. But who knows, in the next election, there could be a Democratic sweep. And uh, that at that point, you have the Democrats controlling the White House, the Democrats controlling both houses of Congress, and then they would want to control the Supreme Court. And so there would be an even greater effort at this point to try to pack the court. That way, the incumbent president, presumably Biden, would be able to pick his four or six people to put on the court and assure a majority for um, not only my lifetime, but probably your lifetime, because if you can get four or six new justices and you appoint young ones, that assures a majority for a considerable period of time. I don't think it's going to happen, but where are the protests? Uh, this would be a total destruction of the independence of the Supreme Court, a total violation of separation of powers and our system of checks and balances. Um, there ought to be more protests, but there are none. Um, compare that and contrast that to Israel where there are much more modest proposals uh, being made, not court packing, um, but um, methods of selecting justices that broaden the basis for selection and some overriding. Those, of course, the biggest demonstrations in modern Israeli history. Uh, what's the difference? What's the difference? Uh, why would judicial reform be a ho-hum, uh, boring, uh, academic discussion in the United States, while in Israel, which is similar to the United States in so many ways, it becomes the biggest source of protests in the modern history of Israel. By the way, there's some protests in favor as well of the reform, but uh, most are against. And um, I've been actively working and trying to help formulate a compromise because, as you know, I don't like extremes on either side. And I think both sides of the uh, Israeli conflict uh, tend to be dominated by extremists who don't want to compromise. The vast majority of Israelis want to compromise, and I think the vast majority of Americans want a compromise. Look, take one issue that deeply divisive in the United States, abortion. The vast majority of Americans want compromise decision on abortion. They do not want to see a constitutional right to abortion at the end of pregnancy, but they do want to see a constitutional right to abortion at the very beginning of pregnancy. Not easy to formulate those kinds of lines under the Constitution, but I'm telling you what the American people who are essentially centrist, as are the Israeli people, essentially centrist, want to see, 
want to see happen. The reason for the difference um, between the demonstrations in Israel and the almost complete lack of interest in judicial reform in the United, in the proposals for judicial reform in the United States, and there have been many, many proposals, is that the protests in Israel are not really about judicial reform. They're really two kinds of protests. Some of it's just election denial. Um, some of what if people on the hard left saying, we don't think uh, Netanyahu was legitimately elected. And even if he was legitimately elected, he's not a legitimate prime minister. He's under uh, uh, indictment and uh, he put some extremists in the cabinet. So we don't think he's legitimate. So there's a small element that really are, are election deniers, like some election deniers in the United States. Uh, but most of the rest of them just don't like the Netanyahu government. Uh, they understand that Netanyahu has been a really for the most part, great prime minister in terms of foreign policy, in terms of relationships with the United States, in terms of the economy of Israel's startup nation. But they surely don't like his new government, uh, which has in it some extreme right-wingers, um, particularly two of them, a guy named Ben Gavir and a guy named uh, Smutrich, uh, who have been accused of uh, racism and, um, and other uh, um, uh, characteristics that many Israelis thoroughly, thoroughly disapprove of. And so I think the attempt to race through, rush through judicial reform became a surrogate for opposition to the government. And that's why you get so many tens of thousands of people out demonstrating against judicial reform. It's really a demonstration against the Netanyahu government using judicial reform as the vehicle uh, to protest. As I've mentioned before, the one thing Israeli has taught the world is how to protest. Uh, there have been demonstrations virtually every week, massive demonstrations uh, in front of the homes of uh, the former chief justice, uh, the president of Israel. But as far as I know, I could be missing some information, none of the protests have been violent. Uh, it hasn't been like the Black Lives Matter protests uh, that followed the murder of George Floyd. It hasn't been like some of the other protests in, in France, uh, which have had um, violence and threats. The, the, the protests in Israel have been models of decorum. And, and, and although the protests are directed largely against Netanyahu, Netanyahu has done nothing to discourage them. He hasn't said, don't protest. Uh, he's talked about the right of protest as being important. He's just said, protest responsibly and peacefully. That's what a prime minister ought to do. So the, the protests have been models for the rest of the world to emulate of how protests that should, should act, counter protesters should act, and the government should act. And, and, um, but, but still you have to ask the question, why the difference between so much protesting of judicial reform in Israel and so little in the United States. In fact, in the United States, you, you hardly see any mention of it. And yet another prediction, two predictions rolled up into one. The Supreme Court will decide, in my view, that race-based affirmative action is unconstitutional. I would support that conclusion myself. That's the liberal approach. The liberal approach to affirmative action is that race should not be a factor. Why do I say that's the liberal approach? That's the approach that was initially espoused by Justice Bill Douglas. Uh, William Douglas was the single most liberal justice ever to serve on the United States Supreme Court. 
He's the closest you would come to what one would call left. Uh, most of the other people who are left are really very centrist. Steve Breyer, Elena Kagan, very, very centrist. Maybe, maybe the new Justice Jackson is a little bit more uh, to, to the left. But um, uh, for the most part, Douglas was really, really a liberal. I mean, he was, if you, if you put the word liberal Supreme Court justice in the dictionary, it would be Bill Douglas's name that would appear in front of it. And he wrote the stirring opinion, dissenting opinion, to be sure, stirring opinion saying why the liberal view is that race should never be allowed to be used as a determinative factor in anything. Remember, he lived through the racial detention of 110,000 Americans of Japanese racial origin that were put in detention camps during the Second uh, World War. He lived during the period when Plessy versus Ferguson was still the law and, of course, participated in the unanimous decision in Brown versus Board of Education. He was opposed to race being used as an affirmative action. He was in favor of affirmative action based on individual characteristics, how far you've come from where you started, uh, poverty, um, anything else that's individual, but he was opposed to the use of, of race as I am opposed to the use of race as such. I do not believe that the daughter of a black federal judge and a uh, mother who's a hedge fund billionaire uh, should get an advantage just because that woman happens to be black over a white kid from the Ozarks. Um, I think you have to look at every case individually. So I believe the Supreme Court will rule that way and will finally um, abolish the use of race. It's not going to abolish the use of race. Uh, universities are going to start cheating just the way universities in the South started to cheat after Plessy versus Ferguson was overruled and Brown versus Board of Education came to be. Um, we're going to see major universities cheating. They're going to use race, but they're going to deny using race. But in any event, the law will say race can't be used. This That will be as big a, a, a provocative act by the Supreme Court against progressives as the decision overruling Roe versus Wade. And as soon as the Supreme Court announces um, that decision, and I think it will probably be six to three, um, I'm trying to remember whether or not Justice Kagan sits on that case or not. I know she's disqualified in some of these cases because when she was in the Solicitor General's office, she had cases like that. But whichever way it comes out, it will be a majority. And there will be renewed calls for uh, packing the court. And this time the renewed calls will come from closer to the center of the Democratic Party than the ones today which tend to be relatively extreme, although there were some academics who would call themselves liberals. Uh, they're wrong to say that. Uh, a liberal does not use race as a criteria. Uh, a progressive does. Um, but there are some academics who believe in using uh, race. And there are some who believe in Justice O'Connor's view, which certainly has no basis in the Constitution. Talk about making it up. Uh, she was supposed to be a conservative, made it up. She said, all right. Race can be used, but only for 25 years. After 25 years, you have to stop using race. She's now, after leaving the court, changed her, her views on that and, and I think believes that race can be considered uh, for eternity.
But I don't think there's a current majority in the Supreme Court who will agree with that. So I think we're going to see a major move toward packing the court and making other reforms, um, which are mirror images of the Israeli situation. In Israel, it's the right who wants to weaken the Supreme Court because the Supreme Court has come down with, in their view, too many left decisions. And in the United States, it's the left that wants to weaken the Supreme Court because it's come down with too many right-wing decisions. Uh, neither group is really interested in structural institutional reform for long-term purposes. Uh, they both want reform for me, but not for thee. They want reform which produces immediate results that serve the ideology and the benefit of either side. I'm not saying Democrats are worse than Republicans. Republicans are worse than Democrats. All politicians uh, want it now, and they want it in a way that serves their interests. Um, we'll see what happens. Um, I don't think that even after the race-based affirmative action decision comes down, we're going to see President Biden change his views on court packing. I don't think so. You never know. He's been pushed around a lot by the squad type hard left progressives, but I think he's going to stick to his guns on this one, but we're not sure. And we'll see what happens in Israel because there were, uh, there are compromises being worked on. I know I'm aware, but I've proposed compromises. I've written probably a half a dozen articles uh, on that. And I've been interviewed by major Israeli media on that issue. And I'm going to be the keynote speaker at uh, an event in, in Tel Aviv, by Zoom, hopefully, um, that deals uh, with these uh, issues. So uh, stay tuned and, um, and uh, we'll see where it comes out. So I've gone on a limb and made several predictions here today. It's on tape. It's recorded. If I'm wrong, you can confront me with it. You won't have to. I will admit I was wrong and I'll try to understand why and be better next time. So let's look at some letters. Okay, Professor, remember I talked about anti-Semitism coming from the hard left and also from the hard right. And a lot of letters said, no, it doesn't come from the hard right. It only comes from the hard left. Professor, come on, who is the hard right? You never name one name. How many on the hard right? How do you know they are the ones shooting at synagogues? Well, let me name you just two very prominent ones on the hard right. David Duke, obviously uh, a neo-Nazi, an anti-Semite, a racist, uh, a hard right person. Uh, he would admit he was hard right. And let's go to somebody who is slightly closer to mainstream, but I would call hard right and who has a long history of anti-Semitism, Pat Buchanan. And don't listen to me. Listen to Bill Buckley, who called him out on it and basically threw him out of the conservative movement along with a couple of other people, hard right people who were, who were anti-Semites. Pat Buchanan is a Holocaust denier. Uh, Pat Buchanan has been supportive of Nazi war criminals. Um, and uh, I, and he, he's one of the few right wingers who hates Israel. And when you're a right winger and you hate Israel, you gotta wonder if that's not because you don't like Jews too much. So, yeah, I've, I've named a few. In terms of the um, shooting in synagogues, these are the people themselves who have admitted on their websites. They've said that they've done it uh, because of support for, for the right. They, they, they boast about their hard right credentials, and they say it's their hard right credentials that led them to these uh, shootings. So 
I stick with my um, uh, analysis. And uh, as I've said before, the hard left anti-Semitism is far more dangerous, even though the hard right is far more violent. But the hard left is far more dangerous because it's pervasive and it's by young people and it will influence the future. Uh, whereas the hard right violence is condemned by everybody. The hard left anti-Semitism is not only not condemned, it's very often approved of. I mean, we haven't heard any mainstream Democrats condemn the two members of the New York City Council who wouldn't even vote for a proclamation saying we should end Jew hatred. So there is a big, big difference. We're easy, we condemn more easily anti-Semitism on the right than we do anti-Semitism on the left. Ah, speaking of anti-Semitism on the right, here's an example of it. Remember, my question is, why is there so much anti-Semitism? And here's, here is uh, IPP53's answer. The answer is very simple. It's because the Jews are communists. They take everything and everyone they hate. Everything and everyone that isn't them. So here's my perfect example. It's clearly right wing. It's on Rumble. Uh, that's not necessarily proof that it's right wing. But remember, the context of the show was why is left wing anti-Semitism worse than right wing anti-Semitism? The answer is very simple. They are communists. Well, let me tell you, I'm not a communist. I've been an anti-communist all my life. It reminds me of the story. I've told it before, but it's worth repeating in New York City College when there was a, a, a communist a demonstration and the police were beating up the communists and they hit another guy and the guy said, hey, I'm not a communist, I'm an anti-communist. And the cops said, I don't care what kind of communist you are and continued to beat him. Well, I'm an anti-communist. I've always been an anti-communist and I'm a proud Jew. So you can hate me, but you can't hate me because I'm a communist. If you do that, it's again, you're, you're, you're generalizing. Um, in response to your title, they are not progressives. I wish people would stop calling them that because they're actually regressive. I use that term a lot. I call them regressives. I don't think they're progressives. I think they're regressive on the issue of free speech, on the issue of due process, and on the issue of, of, of fairness. Uh, they have enforced racism with their policies. The Democrats are masters at manipulating language, and conservatives are always at a disadvantage because of it. I don't understand why conservatives would allow this to continuously happen. Well, you know, fight back. Uh, the court of public opinion is open to all sides. And I will read letters from all sides because I want to make sure all views are represented on this show. Okay. Elon Omar, Omar, she's the uh, racist, anti-Semitic member of Congress from Minnesota, is from Somali, uh, northeastern Africa, her religious belief is Islam. She cannot be anti-Semitic. Why? Because Ilan Omar is Semitic. And so are the Palestinians, he said. Well, that misunderstands the term anti-Semitism. Anti-Semitism was a term invented by Wilhelm Mars at the end of the 19th century. Uh, it was rampant throughout uh, Europe. It was called anti-Semitism, but it wasn't against Semites. It was only against Jews. Not only that, 99.9% .9 of the Jews who it was against were not Semites. They were Frenchmen. They were Englishmen. They were Germans. Maybe, you know, 2,000 years ago, their ancestors uh, were Semites. But the term anti-Semitism is a misnomer. It's never been applied to uh, 
to Arabs or, or Muslims. It's only been applied to Jews. So yes, Ilan Amara is an anti-Semite. And yes, many Palestinians are anti-Semites, even though they're Semites. So let's change the term. They hate Jews. Uh, they're, um, you know, Judophobes. You can come up with whatever term you want. Anti-Semite is not a good term, but it is the term that was invented by people who hated Jews. And it was the term used by Goebbels and Hitler and, and others um, during uh, the lead up to the Second World War and the Second World War. So I s stick to my view that Ilan Omer is an anti-Semite that is anti-Jewish even though she herself may have roots that could be called Semitic. There's no inconsistency between being a Semite and hating Jews. In fact, I would say that the vast majority of Jew haters in the world probably have a Semitic background. So, okay. Quoting from Wikipedia, on June 11, 2012, former Mayor Ed Koch, Congressman Gerald Nadler, Councilman David Greenfield, Assemblyman Dove Hawkins, uh, gathered uh, with several other elected officials to support Jeffries. He's now the minority leader of the uh, House. And denounce Charles Barron. Charles Barron is one of the people who did not vote for the um, a resolution condemning uh, Jew, Jew hatred. Um, Barron was described as anti-Semitic, a supporter of Zimbabwe ruler Robert Mugabe and former Liberia leader Muammar Gaddafi. He was denounced. Greenfield described Barron as a hate monger and an anti-Semite. <clears throat> That's correct. And uh, Barron still serves in New York City's council to the disgrace of uh, anybody who voted, uh, who voted for him. Um, last question. Was the Columbia professor, the one who called on a student and said, if you're Israeli, I'm not going to call on you unless you renounce and say that you and Israel has committed war crimes. Was the Columbia University professor fired or promoted? I sure hope for the former. No, he was promoted. He became a full professor. He now teaches, and he's one of the uh, most evil and dangerous men on the Columbia uh, faculty. Um, Jewish students and students who support Israel tend to stay away from him. Uh, he has a horrible reputation as uh, being biased. Uh, but he was promoted and he was uh, given tenure. And um, we're seeing that more and more. Uh, we're seeing bigots. If they're the right kind of bigot, they get tenure. If they're the wrong kind of bigot, they get fired. And that's the reality of what happens in academia today. See you next week. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.